Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. So great to be in worship with you here at Roswell Presbyterian Church. Wherever you are, know that we are united in Jesus Christ as a family of faith. It was such a joy to welcome our new class of elders last week. A huge thank you to our communications team who did such a fantastic job in capturing that special moment and really celebrating uh, their leadership among us. As we continue to develop our plan for reopening the church, I would like to highlight several salient points for you. First, we are trying to really balance the desire to come together again while also balancing the desire to keep people safe and being a leader for our communities. Secondly, it's not going to be like an on-off switch. It's going to be more like a dial. We will have a four-phase approach to reopening that follows the Opening America Up plan with direction also from the CDC and the Presbytery, among others. None of our plans are written in stone because there are so many unknowns, as we know uh, so well. So we're going to have to adapt as we live into the future. This means that we may have to adapt and go back um, to closing down or opening up quicker, um, just depending on what happens. So we're going to do this as the family of faith, as we've been doing for over 180 years here at Roswell Press. So thank you for being with us, praying for us, and sticking together. Today we kick off our sermon series, Walk on the Wild Side. This summer we'll be looking at famous stories involving animals in the Bible. Today we're going to look at a, at a famous story uh, in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. It's a story that C.S. Lewis called the Bible's one true myth. What he's trying to get at there is this story is a unique genre. It's talking about a time in the past, something that happened way back, but that has a present um, impact on our reality. It's showing us how, how things came to be the way they are. It shows us what's wrong in the world and what's wrong with ourselves and then it shines a light on us. So let us read this great story that comes from us from Genesis 3, verses 1 through 15. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, 
Cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust shall eat, and you shall eat dust all the days of your lives. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife, and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you might teach us from this story that happened so, so long ago, from an ancient past, that by your Spirit it might spring to life and speak to us wherever we may be. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the scariest and most indelible movie scenes in all of cinema comes from the Indiana Jones movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. In it, Jones has to descend into this cavernous opening called the Well of Souls. Indiana throws a torch down into the pit because he thinks he sees the ground moving. When the torch falls to the ground, he looks down and says, snakes, why did it have to be snakes? And to add insult to injury, his partner Salah says, asps, very dangerous. <laughs> I've heard it said that 97% of Americans who were born before 1985, when they see a snake, they're most likely to quote Indiana Jones and say, snakes, why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> I feel for him. I hate snakes. The Lord must have wanted to make sure I had plenty of sermon material for today because over the last two months, I have encountered three, count them, three nasty snakes. The first snake I found hiding under my trash can at my house. Here you can see a picture of it slithering up the wall next to my stairs. I posted pictures of it online and a bunch of people responded, Oh, Jeff, don't worry. That's the good kind of snake. Don't be scared. It's fine. Easy for you to say. In my book, good snake is an oxymoron. The second snake was just a little guy. I was taking Major for a walk and I came across him. He may have been little, but I still got off the pat and started walking in the street. I was not the only person scared of that little snake who decided to walk in the street. If only Adam and Eve would have been afraid of that snake, so much pain, agony, and evil could have been avoided. But let's be honest. Each of us, we have all at some point, just like Adam and Eve, have listened to the snakes in our lives and have been led astray by them. I think this story provides five classic warning signs for us to keep a watch out for, to watch out for the snakes of sin that lurk in the grasses of our lives. I want to offer these warning signs so that you might recognize sin and avoid it. And that by avoiding it, you will flourish in your life and your life will contribute to a flourishing world. So let us look at these five warning signs that we can take from this story. Warning sign number one, sin is universal. In the opening two chapters of Genesis, there are two creation stories. And then the creation of humans is the capstone of creation. Creation culminates with the creation of humanity. And then this story, the fall is told as it's called. It comes at the, the very, very beginning of human history, maybe even prehistory. As I mentioned earlier, C.S. Lewis calls this narrative the one true myth. Karl Barth calls it a saga. I've heard others call it a history-like narrative. 
And what they're all trying to do is to help us understand that this story is told about the beginning of the world. It's the beginning of history. And what happens there at the very beginning will impact all future generations. All of the world will be infected with a sort of disease, a, a sort of sickness of sin. No one can escape its effects. It's universally relevant. This is why it's called original sin. The disobedience of the first humans impacts everyone who comes after them. One of my favorite bands, The Hold Steady, has a song called The Cattle and the Creeping Things. Craig Finn, the lyricist, is trying to describe his characters in the song in terms of the biblical and theological terms of Genesis 3. And he says this, at one point he summarizes. He says, I guess I heard about, the, about original sin. I heard the dude blame the chick. I heard the chick blame the snake. I heard they were naked when they got busted. I heard things haven't been the same since. He's saying things haven't been the same since. Things haven't been the same since. Even though we know better, even though we've read this story, we continue to sin. We can continue to disobey God. It says the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do. Everyone knows this reality. It's the human condition that we're born into. As theologian Reinhold Niebuhr, probably the most important American theologian of the 20th century, said this, Original sin is the only empirically verifiable doctrine of the Christian faith. The only empirically verifiable doctrine of the Christian faith. This is the human condition that we can see all around us and it can only be healed through grace. I'm going to get back to that in a minute. But the first warning sign about sin is that sin is universal and it's affected everything. So be vigilant and be on the lookout. The second warning sign is, is that sin is seductive. Notice in verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Even though God has instructed them not to eat from just one tree, just don't eat from that one tree, they can't help themselves. Notice, woman says the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes. Here we see the tree is good. The tree is a delight. It's beautiful. But even beautiful and good things can be misused. Good things can be turned bad through misuse. When we are thinking about our lives, we have to recognize that the good things in our lives can be misused. We can misuse good things and make them evil. Sin is seductive in the way it gets us to forget that fact. It gets us to forget what we ultimately care about. How many times have you heard someone say, what was I thinking? How did I get myself mixed up in this? How did I get here? I never thought this would happen. This is the nature of temptation. Sin is seductive. On his 1984 Born in the USA tour, Bruce Springsteen introduced the song Pink Cadillac. And he said this, where did all this begin? He says to this crowd of screaming fans. He says, well, it all began in the beginning in a place called the Garden of Eden. And he goes on. The Garden of Eden was originally believed to have been located in Mesopotamia. But the latest, he goes on, but the latest theological studies have found out that its actual location was 10 miles south of Jersey City off the Jersey, New Jersey Turnpike. That's why they call it the Garden State. 
And then he launches into the song and he sings, well now, way back in the Bible, temptations always come along. There's always somebody tempting somebody into doing something they know is wrong. Will they tempt you man with silver and they tempt you sir with gold and they tempt you with pleasure that the flesh does surely hold. They say Eve tempted Adam with an apple, but man, I ain't going for that. I know it was her pink Cadillac, crushed velvet seats, riding in the back, cruising down the street, waving to the girls, peeling out of sight, spending all my money on a Saturday night. Springsteen effectively links the past to the present theologically. He tells us a truth about ourselves that we wouldn't otherwise know. Sin is seductive. We can be tempted with silver and gold, with pleasure, and even a pink Cadillac. So how can we tell, I guess, then, if we're being seduced? Well, that gets us to warning sign number three. Sin contains its own punishment. Sin contains the seed of its own punishment. I learned this principle from the fourth century North African Bishop Augustine. This is one of his great insights that sin contains its own punishment. In Genesis, God tells the man and the woman not to eat of one tree in the garden. And when they do, there is an unintended consequence. They gain new knowledge, but the dark side of that new knowledge is fear and shame. In verse 10, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Can you imagine a world without fear and shame? I can barely wrap my mind around it. God warned them, trust me, don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You don't want to live in a world of fear and shame. But then they go and eat. And when they, yes, when they gain this new knowledge, the dark side of that new knowledge is fear and shame. See, the apparent enjoyment of the sin one gets from sinning conceals the consequences of punishment that lays hidden within it. So for instance, while an adulterer might seem to get away with his sin for a time, eventually he will end up with a broken marriage. Or consider a person who gossips and lies. Eventually he or she will end up with broken friendships, will be lonely. Even in global matters, unjust economic relationships and inequality will bring about international and global chaos. Sin brings about its own punishment. As Bono of U2 once sang, sweet the sin, bitter the taste in my mouth. <laughs> That's because sin contains its own punishment. We have to think about the long-term consequences of our choices. Oh sure, that fruit looks delightful, but they had no idea what it would lead to. Warning sign number four, see something, say something. Someone gave me a book by the Christian spiritual writer and counselor, Larry Crabb, titled The Silence of Adam. In it, Crabb makes the point that throughout this whole conversation between the serpent and the man and, and the woman, Adam is right there with Eve. He sees the snake, he hears the snake, and yet he says nothing. It's the silence of Adam. If you hear a snake talking to me, trying to get me to eat a piece of fruit, folks, please speak up say something. In the history of Christianity, Eve has taken a lot of heat for being the first person to eat the fruit. Many men have conveniently forgotten verse 6, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Who was with her? The writer wants to highlight the fact that Eve is not alone in this. 
Adam was right there, but he remains silent. Remember, speaking up can save a life. The third snake I saw while I was on a walk with Major. As you can see, it's a young copperhead snake, and I know that those are dangerous snakes. When I saw it, a, a woman was running towards us, and it was coming. She was running towards the snake from the other direction, and she had headphones in, so she couldn't hear me telling her to watch out. With about 10 feet to go, I started waving my arms at her, pointing to the snake. I wish you could have seen the look of terror on her face. She immediately stopped and took a, a long detour around the snake. It was funny because the next day I was walking the same route and I came across the same woman again. And I happened to be wearing my RPC shirt. And she said, nice shirt. She knows now that RPC, we here are in the life-saving business. We are the kind of community where if we see something, we're going to say something. Who in your life can you trust to say something if you need to see something? Who will speak up? Who will say, that's a bad career move? Or don't treat your children like that. It'll come back to haunt you. Or your life seems to be ruled by money. That won't make you happy. Watch out for the snakes in the grass. If you see something, say something. Warning sign number five. Sin begins with distrusting God. Notice what it says. He said to the woman, the snake says to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The serpent sows seeds of doubt between humans and God. In his letter to the church in Rome in the New Testament, the apostle Paul refers to Genesis 3. And he talks about the good news of the gospel made possible in Jesus. He says, this is how Jesus solves the problem that was begun in Genesis 3. Listen to what he says here in verse 18. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, he's referring to Genesis 3, that's the universality of sin, the effects of sin, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, Sin is universal, in other words. So by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. But law came in with the result that the trespass multiplied. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that just as sin exercised dominion in death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just as sin and death became a universal reality through the disobedience of the first humans, so too now grace and justification through faith leading to eternal life has made, been made possible through one human who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the great truth on which we have to hold and which we have to trust in both life and in death. While sin leads to death, grace of Jesus leads to life. But we have to acknowledge that sin in order to receive the great gift of grace God offers to us in Jesus. In her book, Wise Blood, which the Guardian named the 63rd best book of all time, the Georgia native author Flannery O'Connor describes one of her characters, Hazel Motes, with these words that as a young boy he believed. There was already a deep, black, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. The way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. Many of us want to avoid thinking about snakes. We want to avoid thinking about sin, but we do that at our peril. For to avoid the reality of sin is to avoid the reality of the grace of God. But if we are going to trust in anything, 
Let us trust in this, that just as sin came into the world through one man, so too has the grace that leads to eternal life come through one man. It's made available to us in Jesus Christ. Let us trust in him. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the good news offered to us in Jesus Christ. That yes, sin is a reality in our lives, but we trust in your grace that triumphs over all sin. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.